Welcome to Pints and Pelvic Floors, a podcast designed to normalize the discussion around all things pee, poop, sex, and more. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Noble, owner of Pelvic Pride Physical Therapy and Wellness, an LGBTQ-owned transgender safe space and clinic for all. Grab a pint and come as you are as we uncover the myths around our genitals and destigmatize normal body functions, as well as normalize asking for help. So raise your glass because it's a beautiful day to see pelvic floors. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the second to last podcast episode of Pints and Pelvic Floors in 2023. We are super excited that the year is almost to an end and we are still doing this. Um, It's I mean, we're only what this is episode 21. I know, you know, it takes a while to actually say you've really committed to something or committed to something like a podcast. And a lot of people get started and do several episodes and stop. And that's totally fair because this is not um, a quick thing to do. Like it definitely takes intention and time. And um, I honestly love doing it. But once I get done recording, I have to um, like buffer edit save the podcast episode editing is very minimal because i'm kind of at the point where i'm like you know we're humans we make mistakes there's background sounds there's things and as long as it doesn't become overwhelming i'm just going to kind of keep going um last week i definitely had to edit some because i (laughs) would cough or get something caught in my throat because of um the cold i'd caught or whatever it was sinus turned sinus infection but anyway so that was probably the only episode i've ever edited so all that to say after it's been edited and uploaded, I make my show notes. I put that into our podcast host. And then after that, our podcast also gets put into our website. And we got to put all those show notes onto the website as well under the blog, uh, the podcast blog combo thing that we have going. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to it. Um, but we're 21 episodes in. Next week will be number 22. And that'll be the last one for the year. And that'll be kind of our wrap up. That'll be where we talk about just kind of all the things we've done in 23 and then all of our plans for 24. Um, I'm a big fan personally, professionally, but mostly um, of like accountability really works well for me. And so if there's something I want to accomplish, I tend to tell my um, my staff or my employees, like I'll tell my admin and I'll tell my other PT. I'm like, hey, this is the thing I'm going to do. This is what we're planning, whatever. Um, because if like if I've told them, I have to hold myself accountable to it. Um, if I put it in my head, sometimes I can just be like, oh, it's fine. And I can make excuses. So that does not let me make excuses. So anyway, um, yeah, we're going to keep this podcast going and, you know, more episodes are coming, new things are coming. So as I tell y'all more about that, that means I have to do it. Um, yeah, we'll get into that next week. Um, another thing we will review is, um, what word of the year we choose. So I stole this from a patient a few years back and I really enjoy it. Um, she does a word of the year because we were chatting about like, do you do new year's resolutions? Do you do gold setting? Like what, you know, what is kind of your thing for the start of a year? And she's like, I actually set a word for the year. And I was like, huh, it's not a new concept. I'm not giving her like hundred percent credit, but in my life she gets the credit because she was the first one who introduced me to the concept. And so I've really enjoyed that. And so I picked that up from her and I started doing that. So our word for 2021 was flourish. Nope. That's a lie. It was intention. <laughs> Number 2021 was intention. Our word for 2022 was growth. Um, which worked out really well because we moved into a new building and we, I hired some staff members and we definitely grew. Um, our word for 2023 was flourish. And now we're figuring out what our word for 2024 is going to be. So we'll definitely kind of let you in on that next week. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of it. So just, you know, this will be our last episode of just like regular content. Next week, we'll do a wrap up episode and then it'll be a new year and a whole new um, 
grouping of episodes i have a little spiral notebook that i just keep all these written down in and it's where i kind of like jot my notes down and if i say something to you in the podcast like i'm going to drop that in the notes or whatever i make myself a little you know star or something to make sure i do that um anyway so yeah we have a whole list of things still to talk about that i haven't gotten to some of them intentionally some of them just because there's been a lot of choices to make and we've kind of picked and choose the different topics that we've talked about sometimes at random and sometimes with our intention um so anyway, today we are going to talk about um, the things you should be looking for, the questions you should ask when choosing a pelvic floor physical therapy clinic and a pelvic floor physical therapist or occupational therapist, but the pelvic clinic that you want to go to. Um, I will say I love when we get these questions. I love when someone's doing their due diligence when they call our office and ask these questions because it shows that they are being super intentional with um, who they're going to be working with and want to make sure that they have appropriate training and experience and knowledge. And I think that's awesome. Um, I'm the first one. If I don't think we're good fit, I'm going to tell you. Um, I've had patients where we decide together, hey, it's time to get a second opinion. Maybe the things we've been working on aren't really helping or we're not making the progress we really want to see. And so we're like, let's get another set of eyes here. Um, So again, I'm totally for patients making sure it's a good fit. Um, I've definitely switched therapists. I've switched mental health therapists. I've done a bunch of different things like that because it just either was a good fit for a certain time and it was time for a change or um, it wasn't a good fit in the beginning. And so we didn't, you know, we need to move on and make, you know, find someone who worked better. So it's always nice to just like do some of that due diligence in the beginning. So here are some questions and some things to kind of consider as you're calling different clinics and trying to figure out where do you want to be, or maybe scrolling through websites um, to find that out. So starting there, um, it's, it's always funny to me when you see on social media pages or not social media, I mean, social media pages too, but like patient people's websites. And it says the best, um, the best clinic in this area or the leading providers in the area or whatever it may be. And that always kind of makes me laugh because I'm like, that's a, that's a little bit subjective. Um, I don't know that any one place can call themselves like the best place. Um, you can definitely say things like the largest because that's a, an objective thing, right? You can count the number of therapists. Um, you can have the most clinics. It's totally fine. Um, again, it's objective. You can count. You have you know, 12, 15, 25 clinics across the state of Maryland, whatever it may be. And that does make you the largest. Um, but those claims are fine, but they're kind of arbitrary. Like on large, like anything objective is one thing, but the subjective, like the best or the leading or the the most advanced or whatever, mm, questionable. So we can dive a little bit deeper than some of that just like Google SEO fluff that websites get and really try to get into, you know, what does it take to be the best or to be um, a leading provider in this area of therapy. Um, so here are a couple questions you can ask when you call a therapy clinic. So the first one is you can start with asking where were the therapists trained? Um, this is a super important question. There's a lot of different options. Um, two of the most popular are the American Physical Therapy Association and Herman and Wallace. Those are two of the top um, longest running education providers in the pelvic health world. Um, Brooks Institute of Higher Learning is another one. Um, Pelvic PT Rising is um, offering a lot of different um, kind of like mastermind pop-in classes, um, webinar type things, um, and some longer full-size classes that we both have taken here at Pelvic Pride. Um, The Global Pelvic Health Alliance, that is another really awesome um, continuing ed 
option for us here in the pelvic world. Um, core exercise solutions. If you look on our website, both Dr. Marlena and myself have a PCES. It's a um, pregnancy corrective exercise specialist. And so that's through core exercise solutions. And so those are just some of the names that you can be looking for. Um, but at the very minimum, you're looking for providers who have taken their foundational pelvic floor courses through Herman and Wallace and APTA. Now, clinical mentorship is super awesome. Um, Dr. Marlene and I currently are mentoring two hours a week, which means we'll get together and we'll review cases, we'll answer questions, we can practice techniques if we need to, um, we'll kind of talk through treatment methods. And honestly, there's some times where I bring my cases to her. She has a neuro background and I have some patients that I'm like, hey, I'm curious what your neuro brain thinks of this presentation. Um, and a lot of times it's the reverse of her reviewing cases and saying, hey, this is what we're working on. This is what's working. Here's a, a symptom that I'm just kind of like, I think it could be this, this or this. Am I on the right path? How can I look at this differently? What should I test for? Um, and so we're just kind of like problem solving through for her as she is continuing to develop her skills. Um, something that I really wish I had a ton more of when I first started, but here we are. You know, it's one of those leave things better than you found it. And so my goal as an employer, but also just as a pelvic PT and as a human is to, um, you know, leave my field better than the way I was founded or the way I came into the field. So we do a lot of mentorship. That mentorship is honestly invaluable. Um, you cannot take away from that. That is huge. But I don't personally believe one-on-one or group mentorship in a clinic replaces training through some of these bigger courses. And so that's to be said, you know, get your foundations from these large classes. They give you so much. It's so thorough. You get the manual and you have all the information and that's great. And then take that information, bring it back to the clinic and start applying it and working with your mentor um, and working with your colleagues and continuing to learn and grow your knowledge and your treatment methods there. Um, so that's the first thing I would just check in and see what is the training that the providers have? Um, do they actually have legitimate training or is it all been kind of an in-person hands-on just, um, you know, mentorship through colleagues within the clinic? Um, because without that core foundation, I think there's just a lot of information that can get lost. Um, the next is what's the experience treating your condition? So, um, I know it's definitely tough to be the one person who comes in, um, and you're like, you know, I have, and I'll use one that I see a lot of, um, if you have a patient who's like, I have EDS, you know, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, and maybe a couple of the other comorbidities that go with it, but if that's what they have and they ask, do your therapist work a lot with this? Some therapists are going to say, yep, absolutely. We are well-versed in working with patients with EDS. And sometimes they're going to be like, we don't really know. And it's important because with something like EDS, you want to recognize that they're hypermobile. There's a lot of laxity. Um, They don't need to just stretch, stretch, stretch because they're super stretchy. Um, There's a lot more that comes into treating someone with EDS than just stretching. So that's a super important um, difference to note there. There are a lot of things like that. And to be honest, I've had patients in my career where I had to say, no, I honestly, in my whole career, have not worked with someone who has your symptoms. And that's okay. And the patient can make the decisions to still come to you. Um, when I was in Florida, I had a guy like that. And I called him and I was like, listen, I you know, got the message that you want to chat with a PT. I don't treat a lot of men or penis owners. This was probably the second year of my career. Um, and I was like, so I don't know. I was like, I'm honestly, I'm open to talking about it. I'm happy to chat about all the things. My lack comes in where I just don't know how to treat them yet. Um, I can draw associations with treating 
vulva owners and penis owners like i can figure out these muscles are tight these muscles are weak this is how we work on it i was like but there are some intricacies that i just don't know about yet um and he was like listen my options are you accept me and we try to see what happens and at least give it a shot or i get surgery and i have six weeks to decide so i said hey if you are willing to come in and be seen by me with the full knowledge that i have had pelvic floor training but i have not gone into um treating penis owners at this time I am happy to treat you. He did. We got very fortunate and it was very successful and he did avoid surgery. And that was, um, I'm not going to say it was a fluke. I'm going to give myself credit, myself more credit than that. But it wasn't that I did anything magical. I just applied the knowledge and the skill set that I had to a different part of the body, which everyone has a rectum and an anus. And that's where we were working internally. Um, in his case, just turned out that it wasn't something super complicated or intricate with um, a little bit more like male or penis owning anatomy. So it worked out fine. Um, but I've also had patients here in Baltimore with similar vibes where they've had um, a diagnosis or a history of some stuff that I was not familiar with or I hadn't treated. And so it took some going back and researching, but I told them, we were honest, I've not had anyone with those conditions that I know of, um, but I'm happy to help. And this is what we can try. And if it doesn't work, we'll see if we can't get you to the right place. Um, so just kind of chatting with them to know what is their experience treating your condition. And sometimes it's not, um, it's not necessarily just your specific condition, but it might be that the clinic is like super focused on pregnancy postpartum. Amazing. That's huge. I was actually looking at our, um, dashboard this week sometime and noticed that on our dashboard, we have um, 50% of our patient caseload right now is either pelvic pain or postpartum. So we see a lot of pregnancy and postpartum. But if you go to a clinic and that is like their bread and butter, it's what they do 99% of the time. And you're coming in with like a chronic pain condition, or you are looking for some gender affirming care, or you do have a penis and you are having some pain with sitting or whatever it may be. Um, you just have to make that decision and go into it educated, knowing their experience treating people with your conditions or the people that look like you um, and decide what feels good. Does that feel good to go into a clinic like that where you're like, yep, this is it. Or does it not feel good to go into a clinic like that? Cause you want someone who has a little bit more experience um, within that. So that's something to keep in mind there. Um, the next thing I always like to look at is what is the length of the appointment? Uh, we will get into an episode at a later date about why cash pay and why go out, you know, why an out of network provider can be beneficial and sometimes save you money compared to lose you money. Um, but length of appointment is huge. Um, I think I actually have talked about this in a couple podcasts before, but I have worked in places where I've had 30 minute sessions. I've had 45 minute sessions. I've fought for a 60 minute evaluation and then only got 45 minute follow-up sessions. So I have definitely worked in places where we got short appointments and it's been a really important part of our you know, clinic ethos here at Pelvic Pride is to have longer visits. Um, we work it out where when we say it's a one hour appointment, you have 60 minutes with us. It is not a um, and there's nothing, this is not shade at the mental health world, but it's not like a mental health therapy appointment where it's 50 minutes. when they say an hour, it's a full 60 minutes that you have with us. Um, and then our evaluation is 75, same thing. It's a full 75. We are, you know, as much as humanly possible, we are not going to try to also put credit cards and scheduling and all the extra stuff into that time frame. We have support staff that that is part of their role is to help you get scheduled and make sure payments and everything are handled. And you will just spend that time with your provider one-on-one. Um, so that's always something I'm looking for is just asking, you know, what is the length of time of your appointment? And then decide, does that feel like a good amount of time for you or kind of reflect on other experiences or at least know um, what is the value I'm getting? If it costs this much at this clinic for 
60 minutes and it costs this much at this clinic for 75 or this much at this clinic for 30, you can start to do a little bit better of an apples to apples comparison there. On that note, saying that you're working with your provider one-on-one, you are with your provider, your PT, one-on-one the entire time. So a question that I would suggest that you ask is, does the therapist or does the clinic work with any kind of um, techs, aides, students, um, other support staff that may be part of your treatment session? Now, my one caveat is I totally understand that as students, it's super important to have experience and to have exposure to treatment before you go into your field. Um, You know, being able to screen for that and you'd get to decide, am I okay with that? I have had plenty of patients who are like, I'm totally fine having a student observe, having a student present. I understand that's necessary. And I've had patients who say, absolutely not, please don't have a student here. And that's okay too. And we're willing to make that um, decision based on what the patient's, you know, comfort level is. So with that said, that's something important to find out. Do you have techs, aides, students, anything like that that may be present or may be part of my care? So you are aware of who all can be um, part of the story, know your history, and be in the room treating you. Next question is, does the therapist perform an internal exam or have the training to perform an internal exam? So this is a big soapbox in the pelvic PT, pelvic OT world, is providers who are um, designated themselves as pelvic floor therapists, but do not perform internal work. And there is a difference between not being able to perform it, not deciding to perform it, and advertising that they don't perform it. So there are providers out there who are incredible, who are um, a much more external orthopedic view working on pelvic floor issues, and that is valuable. And they are very upfront. They do not do internal work. And so you know it. You know going in, just like you know going in if they've worked with your condition or not, um, whether they are going to work internally or not. That's key. As long as you know that, and again, you're making an informed decision that that's okay with you, delightful. But I can tell you as a pelvic floor provider who does internal work, there are a lot of missing links inside the pelvic floor. Um, There have been times that I'll work with someone who's had hip pain that won't relieve and we go internally. And I said this before on this podcast, I know it. We work on the obturator internus and bam, a lot of their hip pain is starting to reduce or we're getting at the underlying cause. And now some of our stretching and strengthening and mobilization exercises are getting the symptoms better because we've let go of that last piece that has been missing because no one has done an internal exam. So that is super important. Um, Having the knowledge of how to perform them and then having that be part of your treatment practice. Um, So when you are deciding, do I think an internal exam is appropriate for me or do I want to make sure that I have the provider who is willing to look at all the different pieces that might be contributing? Asking if the providers perform internal exams is a big question. Now, I will say, we've talked about this, I know, um, you know, informed consent and enthusiastic informed consent is huge. You always, always, always get to consent or decline dissent um, consent. So you can take away at any point if you decide you don't want to do an internal exam. I've had patients come in who are just like, hey, I don't want to do that today. Awesome. Let's do some other stuff. Here's some other exercises. Let's work on some range of motion. Let's talk about some other things that might be impactful. Um, so there is no judgment if you decide not to do it. But I think it's important as you're selecting a therapy clinic to find a provider who is able to perform that, um, especially if you think it is an important part of your care. And the last one we'll leave this on is, does your provider, um, do your providers use any tools or devices? And then you as a patient have to decide, does that sound like a positive or not for you? 
And so really where this question comes from for me is I have had patients come in and they tell me, oh yeah, they just gave me dilators. And then we did exercises out in the gym. I'm like, okay. So they did an internal exam on the first day. Yep. They checked my pelvic floor. They said it was tight. Okay. And I'm like, and then, and then they showed me how to use a dilator and I went home with dilators and that was my homework at home. And then in the clinic, we did clamshells and sidesteps and rode the bike and did exercise. It's like, okay. And when did they check your pelvic floor again? Mm, Not until probably my last day with them. Okay. So they only actually worked on the pelvic floor twice, kind of once to assess in the beginning and once to assess at the end. That's a concern. Um, there is a hundred percent, a place for dilators. There's a place for wand. There's a place for helpful things like that in therapy, but they shouldn't be you on your own at home doing them without any guidance and any assessment from the PT along the way saying, yes, this is helping. Nope. This isn't working. We need to adapt a little bit. I want you to try this technique instead. Um, if you're going to be using tools, but here, manual therapy is a big part of my clinical ethos. Um, Dr. Marlene and I have a little bit different ethos on, well, I shouldn't say that. We have the same ethos, I think, on our treatment styles. We just treat in different ways. And so um, I'm very big on manual. She's very big on function. And so we are, this is how we work well together because we start to blend those. And I chat with her on the functional things she does. And I incorporate those in my practice. And I think she hopefully hears some of the manual things we discuss and incorporates those into hers. So this is how we're continuing to grow and learn from each other. Um, But you know, I think doing the internal work, that's the specialty we bring. That's the key that, um, you know, chiros don't have, acupuncturists don't have, massage therapists don't have, physicians and other medical providers don't have, is this ability to do the internal manual therapy that we do for the pelvic floor. And I tell some of my patients that I'm like, I'm happy to be the one that does that or to focus on that in our sessions, especially if you have a really good healthcare team helping with all these different parts, because it is what makes us different and special. And then another option or thing I hear a lot of patients is um, they just get hooked up to a biofeedback machine. So they get either some like sticky electrodes on the skin around the pelvic floor, or they get like a probe that's placed. And then they just um, do a bunch of squeezing and relaxing. Again, not skilled care. You should not be left in a room with a dilator inside. You shouldn't be left in a room with sticky pads on your skin and you're hooked up and you're just squeezing and relaxing. And that is all of your therapy care. Um, that is not skilled care to me. And so that's always something I want to look for is, you know, are we going to be doing any hands-on work? Will there be exercises and things I can do at home? Um, or is it going to be, you know, I'm going to be given things like, um, a device that I have to just sit and do while I'm in therapy. Cause again, I think that's personally a waste of time. If that's the case, you can do that at home. Like, right. You can use a dilator and watch some TV or meditate or read a book or do whatever you want and not necessarily need to be in a therapy clinic using your insurance or paying cash for someone to watch you dilate. Um, unless there is a very specific reason we need that to happen. So that's another um, question I'm always encouraging people to ask is just finding out, you know, is this a big part of their therapy or is it just an ancillary part or is this something they're going to educate you on for home? So in review, when you're asking some questions to see if a therapy clinic is a good fit for you, I would ask, what's their training like? Where do they do their pelvic floor training and ensure that they have gone and gotten some foundational classes done? Um, You know, in theory, a minimum of two or three would be best um, because that's where you're really going to get the foundations of incontinence, prolapse, pain, and treating those with penises. Um, Ask about what their experience is with your condition. What percentage of your patient population has these kinds of issues? Um, prolapse, pregnancy, postpartum, gender affirming care, 
um, you know, pelvic pain, chronic pain, whatever it may be. If you get a little specific in the diagnosis, they may not be able to give you exact numbers. Um, but if we can kind of group it into like a larger category, like I just named, that's a great way to figure out how much of your care is this. Um, what's the length of the appointments and how long will I really be with my provider during that time? Are you working with any support staff like a tech, an aide, or a student? So you know, again, what to expect when you go into that clinic, if that's the one you choose. Are they trained in external and internal examinations? And are they going to perform internal examinations at any point during my therapy or my treatment? And then are there any uses of tools or devices that'll be occurring in the clinic um, that will be you know, left unsupervised or um, aren't part of just a education or teaching moment for you to be able to perform them at home. So just finding out, are you left hooked up with a device um, on your own for care? Because if so, I would definitely run for the hills. So hopefully these questions are helpful. If there's any other questions that you um, wish you would have asked your providers before you came to therapy, let me know, send us a DM. We'd be happy to do a follow-up and add some more patient perspective to this. Um, if there's anything that you feel like you were told by a clinic that you were like, that was really helpful that they told me this also let us know. Um, or just things that you found valuable as a patient where you're like, it was really cool that this was a thing and I loved knowing it. So those are some of the biggest questions. Um, one more that just kind of popped in my brain. Uh, when we're thinking of this from a little bit more of like a gender affirming approach, I would ask if they have gender neutral bathrooms. Um, that's an important one too, because you want to know going into this clinic, am I going to be able to use a bathroom that feels safe for me or not? So that would be the final question I would add. Um, are there gender neutral bathrooms um, that I'm able to use? So, you know, you know what you're, you're walking into. Um, yeah. So hopefully those questions are helpful. Like I said, if you have any others that pop up, definitely drop them for us. We'll give you an update and send some more um, information your way. We have some exciting things coming for next year. We're going to wrap this episode. Um, and then next year, our next episode is going to be just that wrap up of 2023, and then it'll be on to 2024. Um, yeah, so I hope that was helpful. If you have any other questions, any other topics you want to hear about next year, if there's just anything that's kind of burning in your brain that you're like, mm, I really wish I knew the answer or have more information on this, always you can send us a message. We will throw it onto our list and cover it at some point. So enjoy these questions. Enjoy the rest of your shopping days. If you are celebrating the Christmas holiday, Kwanzaa holiday, um, any of the end of the year holidays, and we will talk to you next time. Until then, cheers. Hey everyone, just a quick reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute providing medical advice or professional services. Please reach out to your primary care provider if you need any assistance.